Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ArdenFBC.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. We're so glad you're here today. We're going to be in Revelation 3 as we continue our series, The Seven Churches of Revelation. So go ahead and turn there. As you turn there, if you'll uh, look in your bulletin, you'll see a few inserts. One looks like this. It says care team. And as our church is growing, we want to do an even better job caring for your needs. Um, Things such as uh, family emergencies, medical emergencies. So if you look on the back of this, it has a care schedule. And uh, we're going to have a minister on call 24-7, 365. So that's there. Keep this with you. So that way, if you ever have a family that's going to the hospital, emergency, you can call that number and one of our ministers will be there to help you uh, 24-7. So we're we're excited to announce this uh, new ministry. Another thing is, is uh, we're going to talk about the church at Philadelphia. And this is the church of the open door. And I'm going to share a little story what God is doing in Arden. Uh, review a little bit because uh, this month I celebrate seven years here at the church completed and uh, getting ready to go into eight years. Thank you. So what we're doing with the completion of seven years is we're going to be sending a survey out to you guys. It'll be sometime after two today and it'll take about 15 minutes to complete. We're asking everyone to do it because at this church we have an R&D department. You're like, what is R&D? A research and development department. We realize no church is perfect and we're included in that group, but we always want to make progress. We believe it's not about perfection, but it's about progress. So we want your honest feedback so that way we can take it to the next level for the next years as the Lord continues to tarry. So look for that survey. Also, after that, uh, tonight at five, we're having an ordination service and we are ordaining two new elders So I want to acknowledge our elder team. Uh, First of all, Tom Beck, go ahead and stand. He is um, handing the baton off after 20 years. He's taking a little break. You're technically supposed to get a break every after three years, but Tom is on a marathon. So he's going to get a little breather, but he may give him a year and he may you may see him back on the elder team. But also John Anthony, he's in the back. He's been serving for a while. I want you to see his face. And two uh, new elders ordaining is uh, Frank. Where is he at? Frank Wheeler. Let's give him a hand. And uh, Scott Whitley. He's somewhere in the back. Uh, yeah, he may be helping with the back. See, so he's back there. So let's give him a hand. And also a new deaconess, Miss Terry. Where are you at? Go and stand. Yes. So as the church grows, we're going to continue to raise up new leaders, create a leadership pipeline. And how we elect leaders is the congregation, as you see people of good character and competency, according to the scriptures, you let us know so we can be on the lookout. And every year we, we have new elections for deacons and for elders. So you guys just give us your input. So we're, we're excited about all of that. So um, as you look at um, Revelation 3, turn there. Today's topic is how faithfulness opens the door for fruitfulness. So we're going to talk about Philadelphia is the church of the open door. 
And as I, as I have a little recollection, some of you know my testimony, some of you don't, but I look back at God's faithfulness. I started ministry when I was 15. I was the true preacher boy. And uh, that's kind of awkward at 15 preaching, but I started young. So I've been doing it now for 25 years. And while I was in college, I served at a lot of different churches as interims, like it's a fill-in position and internships. And so Arden is my ninth church. So it's been a lot of different churches. I've, I've able to seen a lot, um, been able to be a part of some churches that were dying and see God do a work. I've been a part of several churches that have reached thousands, and I was just a small part of that just to learn and kind of be a fly on the wall. And uh, before I moved back to Asheville from Texas, I was at a church in uh, Fort Worth area, and I was there while I was going to seminary, and I was a singles pastor, and that was kind of a cool position. My job is basically help people find a spouse. Not really, but kind of. So I was there for a little while, and that church had seen tremendous growth. Uh, the, the lead pastor there was just an amazing person, and he saw God grow the church from 40 to 1,400 in less than 10 years. So it was kind of cool to be on the ground level to see what God was doing. And, you know, we're excited what God's doing here. So I'm going to share a little bit as the message unfolds about how this church, I believe, of all the seven churches, I believe we're like the church at Philadelphia, and I'll explain why. So let's go ahead and read this passage in Revelation 3, and we're in verse 8, we want to welcome those watching online. It says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These things says he who is holy, he who is true, he who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. I know your works. See, I have set before you what? An open door. And no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. Indeed, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they're Jews and are not, but lie. Indeed, I will make them come and worship before your feet and know that I have loved you. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from The hour of trial. You may want to underline that. And this is key with understanding prophecy. And we're going to talk about this in a little bit. But notice he says, I'll keep you from it, not keep you through it. So we'll explain what the difference is in a little bit. I'll keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on earth. And then Jesus goes on to say, behold, I am coming quickly. And he says, hold fast what you have so that no one can take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go out no more. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes out of heaven from God. And I will write on him my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray over God's word. Father, we're excited to read the words of Christ, the revelation that he gave to John on the Isle of Patmos. And God, we pray that we would see that the church of Philadelphia was not only a historical church in the first century AD, but Philadelphia is here today. There are churches that have doors wide open of ministry. So Lord, speak to our hearts and help us to see how faithfulness 
prepares the way for fruitfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And again, welcome. So today we're going to, the main emphasis is going to be on faithfulness. And I want to give you five B's about faithfulness. So before that, I want to throw a map up here to kind of review. We've been covering the seven churches. And again, these are postal routes in modern day Turkey. We started with, we started with Ephesus and then Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia. Preview for next week, the last church of the seven churches, Laodicea is going to be how to make Jesus sick to his stomach. That's next week. So you want to you want to come and understand what it means to be lukewarm. And you're like, oh, boy, it'll be a fiery message. Get ready. So um, we have a picture of Philadelphia that's going to come on the screen. And this is the ruins of a church during the Byzantine age. And so it's much later than the early church we're talking about now. But you'll notice the only remains of this Byzantine church are pillars. And this is going to come in to the church at Revelation. So today I want to give you five B's about faithfulness. So someone say B. All right, the first B is be reminded of who God is. This is his character. In verse 7, if you go back in your scripture passage, your Bible or your listening guide, it says to the angel of the church at Philadelphia, write, these things says he who is holy, he who is true. So here's the idea behind that verse. It says God's two attributes, he's referring to himself. And by the way, Jesus' pattern through all seven churches is he refers to himself certain aspects that play into the culture. He says that Jesus says about himself he's holy. And the idea behind holiness is not weirdness. Sometimes when you think of holy, we think of people that are out there and weird. It's not talking about that. It's talking about his character is perfect. Jesus is the only perfect to ever, only person ever lived that was perfect, right? He, he lived without making a mistake. He lived without any sin. He's the only one that's truly holy. Now, the only way we become holy is that we accept what he did for us. And to use the big theology word, it becomes imputed righteousness. In other words, we didn't have holiness, but when we accept Jesus, he gives us his holiness. So that's kind of exciting. And then the second word is true. Now, there's different nuances in the Greek of true. This particular word in the Greek means someone that's genuine, someone that's authentic. In other words, in the time of Philadelphia, there were a lot of fake gods out there, a lot of false gods. In today's world, there's a lot of fake gods, a lot of things that get our attention, but they're not really genuine. There's something faulty about them. There's something that will not stand up the test of time. But here we are, like 2,000 years later, and Christianity is still standing the test of time. It still stands up. And I I try to instruct my children about the Bible because they're going to be challenged with Scripture. My oldest is 11 and I'm trying to encourage her, get her ready for what's to come. People will try to doubt if the Bible's really in the inspired word of God. And I said, one thing to help you is prophecy. There are over 300 prophecies about the first coming of Christ, all fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And now if there was just one or two, that would be pretty amazing. But over 300 example, Jesus being born in Bethlehem, this little town. We went there as a group. And Bethlehem's like nowhere. I mean, it's like this small little place, small little town. You drive through it in just a minute and you're out of Bethlehem. And it's like, man, this is a small little place. Things like Psalm 22, where it says that his hands and feet will be pierced. It's talking, David wrote it, but it was a messianic psalm pointing to the Messiah. This was about 700 years or so before crucifixion was even invented by the Romans. And David prophesied that, 
this Messiah would be pierced in his hands and feet. I mean, you look at that and you're like, that couldn't be made up. So when he says he's faithful and true, one application is that we can trust his promises to us. The Bible says the promises of God in Christ are yes and so what promises has he given us? Well, we take oh, like all year and more to talk about, but I'm going to give you two major ones. First of all, he promised to always be with you while you do his work. In the Great Commission, Jesus says all authority has been given to me. And because of this, you're to go and you're to do what? Make disciples of all nations. And then he says, as you're doing this, as you're going, as you're making disciples, you're going to realize I'm with you even till the end of the age. In Acts 1.8, it's the promise of Pentecost coming. And Jesus gives this promise as he gets ready to go back to heaven. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. And here's the thing about the spiritual power. In in Baptist circles, we often think about we're spirit-filled for holy living. That's part of it. But some of our other friends on this other side talk about the power for spiritual service. He empowers us with spiritual energy and spiritual effectiveness and both are true so the holy spirit powers you for victorious christian living but also victorious christian serving so whenever you hear christians talking about being filled with the spirit that's what that means i am filled with the spirit so i can live the christian life and i can live it out in such a way of service so our challenge here and we repeat this a lot to apply this principle that god is holy and he's true he keeps his promises Well, here's one of the challenges we have for the church. It's called each one, reach one. So that's that's the goal. I want to remind you, who are you praying about reaching this year? Who are you praying to share the gospel that God loves you far more than you'll ever know, but you have to receive this love? You know, the fact is God has no grandchildren. He just has children. In other words, because your your parents were Christian or your grandparent was a Christian doesn't make you one. You're not like just Christian because someone else was. You have to receive it. It's kind of like for those of you who are married, you didn't just you weren't born married. You had to make that commitment and say, I do. So there has to be a time. Jesus has already said, I do to you when he died on the cross. It is finished. But you have to say, I do back to him. You have to receive the work is finished, but you have to receive the finished work on the cross. All right. I need another B. Someone give me a B. I feel like this is like, what is that, uh, Will of Fortune? All right, letter B. All right, the second B is this, be empowered. Be empowered because God is the one who holds the key of opportunity. So look at verse 7b, the second part of verse 7. It says, he who has the key of David, who opens and no one shuts, and shuts and no one opens. So I want you guys to take out a key. If you didn't get this, um, raise your hand. Maybe some ushers can pass. Anybody not get a key as you walked in? Anybody need a key? All right. If you need a key, just raise your hand. We'll have one of our ushers get, get you one. But you're like, what is this key, right? This is not going to go in my, my door, my house, my car. This is a little token for you to remember the door of opportunity. So the key of David, it goes back to Isaiah 22. Isaiah 22 is the story of this financial advisor, the secretary that got replaced by somebody that was much going to be more godly and do the job right. And he basically said, I will give you the key of David. So this became a messianic term, meaning whoever has the key of David has the key to the kingdom of David and also the provision within that kingdom. So here's the application. Jesus holds the key of David. 
He is the rightful heir. He is the Messiah. And here's the picture. When you're in Christ and you pray, the reason why you pray is because he has the key. The reason why you ask God for something is he's the one that can open a door and he's the one that shuts the door. So the key reminds you of the door of opportunity. And this is powerful. Jesus says, I've got the key. So let's make it very personal and practical. Guys, I want to get up in your grill. Ladies, I want to get up in your makeup. That's how close we're getting right now, okay? You're like, what are you talking about? Let's just say, what if God said yes to every prayer? What if he said yes to every prayer? Where would you, most of you would not be here right now. All right, now there's a song. The theology is a little off. It's not a Christian song. It's a secular song. We'll, We'll correct the theology in a little bit. But there was a song about a guy going to a high school reunion and he met his old high school flame and then he came up with this song. Let's play this part here. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered. Some of God's greatest gifts are all too often unanswered. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered. All right, how many of you have heard that song before? His theology is a little off. It's not the man upstairs. That's not respect for God. But one thing he got right is sometimes God says no, right? And the reason why God says no is because he knows what the future holds. So his no now, his big no now is because he has a greater yes for later. So remember, God says no because he knows what the future holds. So thank God for unanswered prayer. So if you look at it personal, let's get a little personal here. Some of you would have married the wrong person if God said yes. How many people did you pray? Is this the one? God, please help her to say yes. Help him say yes. Even started in first grade for some of you. How many of you remember the note, write yes or no, will you go with me? I started that really young in life, kindergarten. You know, I started young, early, early riser, early blossom. Um, girls were cute from, fifth, from five years old on, okay? Some of you still don't like girls and you're 20, so we're going to work on that, okay? Just kidding. So here's the thing. If God had said yes, I wouldn't be right here today. I would be in you know, some, some different places. Some of you would be working in a wrong career. How many jobs did you pray, God, please open this door? And he shut the door for a reason. And the beautiful thing about God is because he holds this key and because he sees the future, he says, listen, I'm going to open certain doors and nobody can stop it. Okay, and I'm going to close certain doors. And the reason why it's closed is if you went through that door, it would hurt you. And I know the future. I know what the future holds. So take this key, leave it in your car, leave it wherever you remember it and remember He's the one that has the open doors. The third B is be proactive in doing God's work because there's open doors even in the midst of great struggles. Look back at verse 8. He says, I know your works. See, I've set before you an open door for you have little strength. You have kept my word. You have not denied my name. Did you know that there can be opportunities and obstacles at the same time? There's an opportunity, and yet there's an obstacle. 
there's an open door and yet there's someone behind that door you didn't expect that is not really for the open door. Paul said, there's been an effectual door of ministry open to me, but there's many adversaries. It's possible to have opportunities and obstacles at the same time. We live in American culture where if someone's doing God's will and there's opposition, they're thinking, oh, this can't be God's will. It's too hard. This can't be God's will because someone said something not nice to me. Listen, those are usually evidence that that is God's will, that you're following him. So I want to encourage you. There's an open door. And he said, this opportunity is there for the church at Philadelphia. And then he goes on to say some of the challenges. He says, you have a little strength, but you have not denied my name. The idea of little strength is this. This church was smaller than the other churches. The church at Philadelphia was not a huge church. It had few people. So it would be few members, small budget. And here's the beautiful thing is Jesus doesn't commend the largest church of the seven. This is the one of the only two. There's no negative thing against it. This in the church at Smyrna. So here's the thing. Bigger is not always better. Smaller is not always better. What's better is are you faithful? Are you faithful? There are certain churches that have the reputation of being alive and yet they're dead on the inside. There's other churches that are so small and no one really is known about them. But Jesus looks at him and says, listen, you're faithful. That's what matters. And when you get in the end of your days, when you get meet Jesus face to face, what you want to hear is not only welcome, but you want to hear good. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. All of us think he's going to say, well done. That's for those who are faithful. Right. He'll, he'll say welcome if you're a believer. But well done, good and faithful are the ones who are actually good and faithful. Amen. We don't hear that often in church, but don't assume he's going to say, well done, good and faithful, if you weren't good and faithful. That's reserved for those like the church at Philadelphia who are. So it brings up a question. How do I know whether this door is of God or if this door is the enemy's opened up? You ever ask that? For those of you who are single, you're dating, is like, is this the right guy? I mean, he's nice. He doesn't curse that much. Doesn't drink that much. He must be God, God's will. Is, is it? You know? <laughs> And uh, some of you, job transition, should I take this job, should I not? So when you're listening to God, I provide four guiding questions. These don't answer it for you, but they guide you. These are questions I want you to ask when a door opens up. Is this God? Is this not? So the first question, does this open door line up with God's calling in my life? If it doesn't, it's probably not God. If it's bringing you away from the calling, if it's bringing you away from God's gift in your life, it's probably not God. The the second question is, do I have peace, the peace of God about this open door? If you are wrestling with this, if you have no peace, then the, 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 the red light is God takes away the peace and you don't have any peace about it. You, you can't move forward. The third question is, will this open door draw you closer to God or pull you away from God? So here's a practical thing. You get a job opportunity. Your pay is going to be doubled. But guess what? So are your hours. You're not going to be able to come to church anymore on Sunday. You're not going to be able to spend time with your spouse, with your children. And you're like, God, the money's good. If it's going to draw you away from God and your family, should you do it? doesn't matter how much money. So that's just an example. And the fourth question is, do other mature believers think this open door is of God or not? So in other words, don't go to just the people that are going to tell you what you want to hear. How many of you have been guilty of that? You call the people up. You you call the people that are going to say what you want them to say. Am I the only one that does that? 
(laughs) You know they're going to give you their yes. What you need to do is call the people who tell you what you need to hear, whether you want to hear it or not. So those are those are some open doors. So I want to get very practical with our church. We got practical with you individually, so I don't want to talk about the church. I believe this church is like the church at Philadelphia because God is opening up so many doors. And I, I just, as I look back at seven years, I just see the Lord's faithfulness. He gets all the credit for all he's doing. But when I look at it and I see you guys sitting here, I'm just like, wow, what amazing people. You know, you guys are fired up about reaching people for Christ. You guys are so like just hearing you guys sing. By the way, that's rare for the congregation to sing. I'm just like I I, I shut my mouth and I listen and I'm like, wow, this is unusual for everyone to be singing. You know, some of you have such fervor to reach people for Christ. You're like charging hell with a water pistol. I mean, you're just like fired up. That's rare. I look at the book of Acts, how God added to the church daily those being saved. And did you know in seven years, all praise be to God, after losing about 100 people during COVID, we are three times the size we were seven years ago. I mean, that's that's God. That's a God thing. But we are not judged by our seating capacity. We're not judged by how many people are in the seats. We're judged by how many people take Jesus in the streets. And we are getting out there. We are making a difference. So those are some open doors. So if you look at your life, I want you to think about the people you work with. For those of you who are retired, the people in your neighborhood. I want you to think about the people at the grocery store. These are open doors of opportunity. In this church, we've seen ministry partners that have open doors for the gospel. And I think we have a picture of our mission wall. These are just a few. We actually have, I think, up to 12 mission partners. We're still adding the photos. But... When we look at um, places like Youth for Christ, uh, Scott Shives is with us, that, you know, getting high school students the gospel. When we think of people like Randy Shepard that's been to over 50 countries, I've lost count how many countries, thousands upon thousands of people have accepted Christ. These are open doors. And I want to tell you a new open door that I'm really excited about for this church. Some of you know that several years ago I was trying to get our church on 106.9 a lot. I kept knocking on the door, and basically they were nice about it, but it's like, you guys are very small. Sorry, they didn't say it that way, but it was like, you know, you're not Billy Graham's nephew, so I'm sorry. It was, you know. So anyways, uh, I just kept knocking on the door, and they're like, okay, let, let's see what we could do. So they, they were like, we're going to connect you with a ministry coach. And they gave me this guy's name. His name is Jim Levi. I never heard of him. He lives out west somewhere. So I started talking to this guy and saying, listen, our church, we'd like to take the gospel locally, but get it out around the world. And we believe radio is one of the avenues that so many people listen to radio. And uh, but we don't really have the, the opportunities, the connections. And I found out that this guy um, worked with James Dobson. If you guys remember him, Focus on the Family, got him all around the world. He works with Robert Morris. Um, he's worked with people like John Piper. Um, like, I, I could go down the list, but basically through radio and through written word like books he's gotten the gospel all around the world jim Simbola, i mean the name goes on and on so he's decided to adopt this church to help us get what god's doing and take it around the world isn't that exciting that's just like yes to god be the glory so uh this picture here is of ryan's studio ryan is in the back ryan stand up so we can see you you guys never see him but he's in the back he has a recording studio and uh, we're, we're able to record, without even going across the street, we're able to record up here 
and get the gospel message all around the world. So that's exciting. Let's give Ryan a hand back there for what he does. So the fourth B, can I get another B? All right, if you guys are falling asleep, we'll get espresso down the aisles to get you to wake up. Just kidding. The fourth B is be tenacious, even in the face of adversity, because God rewards steadfast faithfulness. So in verses 9 through 13, he talks about the synagogue of Satan. You're like, what? That's weird to call a church synagogue of Satan. What you can learn from that is not every church is a church. Some churches that claim to be churches, if, if they're not focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, they're not really a church. It's just a social gathering. So the synagogue of Satan in that day was it was a group of Jewish people that resisted the church at Philadelphia. And it's like they they say they're they're physical Jews, but they're actually spiritual pagans. So here, here's the application of that. People that resist the gospel. Listen, God knows. But the encouragement is be like Philadelphia, be faithful. Because you read on that scripture, he says, one day these same Jews are going to bow down and worship the Messiah. They're going to worship the Lord. They're going to bow at your feet, knowledge who God is. And you're like, when is this going to happen? Well, we have seen Jews throughout history because of the faithful witness of churches like the Philadelphia church accept Christ. It's happened. And during the tribulation, there's going to be 144,000 Jews who get saved. It's going to be a huge revival. So we're going to see this is still future tense. We see signs of it, but the future is to come. And notice, skip down in verse 10, because you've kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial. You're like, what is the hour of trial? Well, it clarifies, it says, which is to test the whole earth, not just a localized point. So for those of you who have studied Revelation, there's four basic views, and I'm not going to go all of them, but one is the history view, that all this was fulfilled during Nero, the emperors, etc. And where I push back against that view is that wasn't the whole earth. That was a certain section, you know. You think about Rome, you think about the area around Israel, you think about where the outbreak took, it wasn't the whole world. So the reason why we take a future tense of Revelation from chapters 6 on is that there's going to be a tribulation that's going to challenge the whole world. And you're like, what is that? If you follow in your listening guide, I'm not going to go into every detail, but this is for you to take home and look at later. And I, in Jeremiah 30, verse 7, we have Jacob's troubles. Jacob's troubles. It was referring to a, a time that's going to be very testing. In Daniel 9, we're going to see about the seventh, the, the last week, this last seven years. And this is, scholars have seen this as the, the tribulation period. In Matthew 24, we'll throw this on the screen. This is the words of Christ himself. He says, for there will be great distress, unequal from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. And you're like, well, I thought COVID was pretty bad. I thought all that's going on is pretty bad. No, there's going to be distress that will, will be unprecedented. The world's never seen distress like this. And he says, if those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. So when he says, I will keep you from the hour of trial, this is one of the great scriptures that shows us, in my, in my, in my opinion, there's people that have different beliefs. I don't believe we're going to have to go through the tribulation. Because if we were, he would say, I'll help you through it. But he actually says, I will keep you from it. And when you look at the other passages and you're listening, God, I'm not going to read them right now due to time. But 1 Thessalonians 5, it talks about there's going to be a shout of an archangel. The trumpet of God, and it says the dead in Christ will 
rise and we who are alive will be what? Will be called up. That's the rapture. So here's the interesting thing about the tribulation. After chapter 3 with the churches, we don't see the church again during the tribulation. Chapter 6 on, you don't see the church. Why? Because we won't be here, right? Now, there will be people get saved. That's what the elect in Matthew 24 is referring to. There will be people get saved during the tribulation. But those who are saved prior to the tribulation will not have to go through the tribulation. Amen. So he gives some promises for those who endure. He says there's going to be a prominent place of service. He says, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Let's throw that picture of those pillars again. As I said, this is from the Byzantine time. But notice the pillars have survived even though the church didn't survive. And many of you have traveled. Some of you have traveled through Europe and different places. What usually remains of the building? The pillars, right? So this is an analogy. And what's fascinating, and you can Google this, in the year AD 17, there was a great earthquake that struck the area of Turkey. And Philadelphia, along with 12 other cities, were, were shaken. Many of them demolished, some of them worse than others. Philadelphia took longer to rebuild than other cities. So he's speaking into their cultural context. AD 17, a few decades prior to John writing this, around AD 95, he's like, you guys were shaken. But one day, when the eternal city comes, you'll never be shaken again. You're going to be like a pillar, a place of prominence and standing. But then he, he does something interesting. He talks about some names written. He said three names are going to be written on you. The name of the Father, right? The name of the city, New Jerusalem. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you a new name of myself, a new name of Christ. And we're like, that's kind of bizarre, right? We know him as Jesus, Savior, Emmanuel. What is the new name? We don't know yet. We'll find out. And for those of you who think that's kind of different, we, we've seen in Revelation the promise of a new name. And one day all believers are going to have a new name, right? Some of you don't like change, but it's coming. You're, like, you're going to get a new name one day. So let me, let me explain it like this. There are things, for those of you who are married, there are things that you can call your spouse that no one else can call. If someone else tries to call your spouse that name, they'll get slapped. There are certain things I tell my wife, baby and honey. If someone else calls her that, I don't know, she wouldn't smack her, but you know, you're like, what is she going to do? And it's, the reason why is intimacy. We have a relationship. I call my kids nicknames, and it's because we have a relationship. So when Jesus says, I'm going I'm to write on you my new name, He's saying, you're going to know me in a way that you've never known me before. You're going to have a face-to-face, intimate relationship. We're going to have a relationship so much, you're going to call me by a new name, and it's going to be like this term of endearment. So a little preview. We've got Easter coming up. We're going to do Easter series after we finish the seven churches. And then I'm going to take what we've learned in Revelation about this new name, and we're going to do a series called When God Changes Your Name. We're going to talk about people in the Old Testament and New Testament, their names got changed. And we're going to talk about what's significant about that. So that, that's a sneak preview. All right. And finally, number five, be ready. Someone say be. All right. Be ready at all times, knowing that Jesus could come back at any time. So in verse 11, he says, behold, I'm coming quickly. And you're like, no, you haven't. It's been 2000 years. Let us be reminded of what Peter said. One day is like. A thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. So from God's formula, he's only been gone two days. It's not been that long. But when he comes, it's going to be quick. It's going to be in a twinkling of an eye. It's going to be when you least expect, like a thief in the night. Quickness when you least expect it. And he talks about my reward is with me. So there's going to be rewards. 
In 2 Corinthians 5.20, here's what Paul says about the rewards. He says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. that Each one may receive the things done in his body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. So it's kind of like this. We talked about this several weeks ago to reminder for some and others of you will be first time hearing it. It reminds me of high school graduation. You guys remember the people that just graduated but didn't do anything? They, they, they walked across the stage, got diploma, that was it. But people like Frank Wheeler and others of you that walked across the stage, magna summa cum laude. Is that how they pronounce it? Loud or laud? I don't know. I don't speak Latin or whatever it is. You know, you get most likely to succeed. Nick Honorkett, best dressed, right? You got all these rewards in high school. Some of us just walked across the stage and were like, I did it. Others of you, like all these superlatives and awards. Well, if you are saved by faith, you're going to make it. Okay, it's not by works. You're not saved by works, but you're rewarded by your works. So let me clear, clarify. I don't get into heaven by works. But after I'm saved, whatever I do, it actually works. It, it produces rewards. So when we look at that, he says, I'm coming quickly. And I, he has his reward with him. So here's what I want to encourage you. Let's throw James 5.8 on the screen. This is on your listening guide. It says, you too be patient. Strengthen your hearts because the coming, the Lord's coming is near. So I want to summarize this into one sentence. And go and take out your key again and hold this in your hand, this key of opportunity. Be faithfully persistent as you look for open doors of opportunity. And you remember the four questions asked, whether this is of God. He opens a door. And remember, the key of David is not just entry into the kingdom. That's the first step. But it's also all the provision of the kingdom. The reason why you pray is not only you're part of the kingdom, but you have access to the provision. And that's why we pray. Like, doesn't God know my needs? Yes. But remember who has the key. It's Jesus. And if you need provision, guess who unlocks the door? Provision. Jesus. If you need an open door, guess who unlocks the open door? Jesus. So if you are praying for something, remember, Jesus holds the key of David. He can unlock the door. If you're already in the kingdom, you've already received salvation, it's the provision. It's the open door of ministry. All right, three action steps before we close. How do we apply this? You know, we talked about Philadelphia. We talked about earthquakes. We talked about pillars. But what does this have to do with me in 2013? I'm glad you're asking those questions. The first one is faithfulness. If you actively serve Jesus in building up his church, this is faithfulness. We talked about five actions of faithfulness. How do we do it? And the key is just being faithful. As I mentioned, this was not a big church. This was a small church. But they were faithful. And that's why they got Jesus' standing ovation. And if you are faithful, eventually it leads to fruitfulness. And let me put a time element. Fruitfulness is not always in your lifetime. Sometimes it's generations to come. There are stories of missionaries that labor, no salvations, but 100 years later, people got saved because of their witness. So remember, God is a generational God. It's not always right now. Sometimes it's 200, 300, 400 years later. So at Arden, let me cast a little vision as we close. We are raising ministry up, not just for us, but we're raising up for future generations 100 years from now if the Lord tarries. That's, that's the way we're thinking for generations to come. And finally, readiness. What would it be like if you lived in the imminent return of Jesus? Like he could come back at any time. You lived as though he could come back. And I've given illustrations in the past of my wife when she's went away and she comes home and the house is more trash than ever. And I was like, hey, the kids are still alive, right? I wasn't ready for it. She came back sooner than expected. 
But there are other times when I've had the house clean and it's better than when she left. And I'm like, see, I did the dishes. I took out the trash. Are you happy? And she gives me the standing ovation, right? So the idea is live in such a way. If Jesus came back, you you would be ready because you were faithful and he produced the fruitfulness. Amen. So next week, a little preview. I encourage you to come back, bring a friend. We're going to talk about one of the verses that some have misinterpreted about lukewarm water. What does that mean? Some people like it's better to be lukewarm. You know, it's better to be cold, better to be backslidden. Does it really mean that? We're going to talk about that. So you have to come back next week. So let us pray.